Hey everyone, thanks again for tuning into the Marketing Edge podcast with Scott Leventon. We have a special episode lined up for you today. We have Jim Carmichael on the show. And Jim has been a commercial real estate agent for over 20 years and runs a large real estate sales team and renovation company. In addition to that, he also has a large property management company and a flooring company, which we will get into in more detail. Jim also does fix and flips on the side and doesn't spend nearly any money on advertising for his businesses. And Jim is also the host of the Bourbon Bites and Business podcast, where he regularly gets sponsors and continues to grow the podcast to reach new audiences. Well, hey, Jim, thanks for so much being, for being on the show. How are you doing today? Great. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks again. So let's just dive right into things because um, with that intro, there is obviously a lot of things that you're involved in and you, again, have over 20 years experience. So I think it's really interesting to have you on the podcast because um, not everyone has that type of experience. So I think we can really learn a lot from you and we can kind of go over maybe how you got started in commercial real estate specifically and maybe how other people can do the same. So if you wouldn't mind, just give me a, like a short background on maybe just how you got started in commercial real estate specifically and any other information you'd like to share right off the bat. Sure. Uh, I got started in commercial real estate kind of uh, by accident, really. I, I was in the mobile home business prior to that. Uh, I was managing a mobile home dealership actually in Kinston, North Carolina. 9-11 happened and my wife at the time decided she wanted to come home. So I put my resume out and lo and behold, Marcus and Millichap called me in for an interview back here at home. Uh, and uh, we started off in the business as a mobile home park specialist. Uh, cool. And just from my background, and that's how we kind of got started with, I started all this 20 years ago. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's an interesting start because yeah, a lot of people, and I want to get into the commercial real estate side of things because um, at least, you know, a lot of younger investors, you know, around my age, uh, you know, mid twenties, they do want to get into real estate investing now because there's a lower barrier to entry to residential properties. Um, how did you kind of get started in commercial real estate? Like, and did you have any like obstacles, you know, cause right now, again, high barriers to entry, you know, to buy an apartment complex, you know, could be, you know, a million dollars and then you have to put 20% down depending on the terms. Um, so did you have like any um, issues or any obstacles getting started with your commercial real estate career? Well, I mean, as a, you know, starting as a broker, you know, you just, the obstacles are your database prospecting just like any other agent. Um, as, as far as barriers to entry for people, it's, as an investor, you the down payment can be an issue. If if you have a little bit of equity, if you have a little bit of professionalism, there are plenty of uh, equity marketing exchanges where you can get into commercial real estate with a relatively low entry to barrier uh, with some creative financing uh, and to build up. You know, in these days, syndications are easy to put together, and if you if you know how to evaluate properties correctly, you can put a syndication together relatively easily you, know, you partner up you know if you don't have the money get partners yeah yeah i agree i always kind of hear you know i don't know like a sales gimmick but they're like you know use other people's money so that actually it sounds like that could be you know a viable option of course you know, have to do your research and everything um, but want to go back to one thing that you just said about syndications um, mm -hmm. i have heard of syndications before but would you mind just going into a little bit of detail what exactly is a syndication and how can someone really get started with, you know, doing a syndication? Uh, 
first and foremost find you an attorney who knows what the hell they're doing <laughs> that can put your paperwork together correctly. There are FCC filings and SEC filings that you have to do, or not FCC, but SEC filings. There, there, are, there are filings that are required. There are two types of syndications. One is what most people are used to is you, you kind of have people in the background that you can go to, but you go and put a piece of property under contract. You get maybe 60 or 90 days of diligence and you go out and you have the paperwork prepared, which probably going to cost you about $5,000 to put your attorney on retainer. At least that's what it cost me. And, um, and then you go out and raise the money to buy it. And then you become, you know, for your time, effort and energy, you become the manager and you can give yourself some equity position too, sometimes depending on the way you structure it. Those are detailed conversations to have with your attorney. And then the other, the other syndication, there's some benefits to doing those. So a regular syndication like that, you can basically anybody can invest in. When you do a blind pool syndication where you're collecting money prior to the purchase, those are uh, accredited investors only. Uh, and then depending on what you're buying, you're going out and raising money to pursue certain types of properties. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't really. In a nutshell. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. No, that's a good explanation. Um, now let's actually jump back. You did mention that you did get into the mobile home business. Um, can you share a little bit about, you know, the intricacies of the mobile home business? Because again, a lot of people, at least my age, like they don't really consider, you know, mobile homes, RV parks as you know a viable investment option um like how did you get started with mobile homes and do you have any tips for someone that is looking to get into you know mobile home park or rv park investing um frankly these these so the industry has changed right so it used to be you bought a mobile home park and you rented dirt to people who owned the mobile home uh, and it was it's as simple as that it, it was a great investment back in the late 90s and 2000s people would read a book called the wealthy barber you could almost tell when they read it. And if you haven't read it, it's still a great book. Um, but the business has changed. The, the mobile home industry has changed. It is uh, dominated by Berkshire Hathaway anymore. And their front face for that company is called Clayton. And today you have to have the ability to do your own purchasing of mobile homes, reselling them, leasing them out, finding mobile homes to fill the park. Uh, it's just not as easy to fill a mobile home park as it used to be. RV parks, on the other hand, it's still renting dirt. People are pulling around RVs like crazy, and you're just renting dirt. It's it's relatively simple. You know, you, you want to have a bigger place to, to make sure you can have a property manager on site and somebody knows what they're doing uh, that can do basic maintenance. But it, it's a relatively simple business model, but the base of it is renting dirt. Kind of like no, yeah. mini storage is another one that's really simple as well. I, today with technology, mini storage is so simple. You can you can operate a mini storage from your phone. I mean, they are they're fantastic investments. Nice. Yeah. Now, any key partnerships like when you were getting started, like how you said, you know, you need a partner if, if you don't have the capital yourself. When you were get st uh, getting started, did you have any like key partnerships that really helped you out? But so, you know, partnerships as an agent and partnerships as an investor, those are kind of two different things. Uh, you know, as an agent, you want to make sure you find a good mentor, somebody that's been in the business that's willing to spend the time to help you. Uh, 
and it's kind of the same as an investor. You being an agent and being an investor, I always find it important to know the value that you bring to the table, be an expert at the thing you're trying to do. If you're trying to raise money for whatever asset class you're in, you need to know everything about that asset. You need to know everything about that market. And then when you go out and you're looking for investors, you, you will find somebody that kind of, you know, matches your personality matches your vibe, so to speak in today's language. Uh, you know, I, and going through the years, yeah, I had key people that I dealt with, uh, and that changes. You know, I, I have people I deal with now constantly. I'm also part of a, a couple of different groups to where creative, uh, creative real estate is kind of what we do. It's called equity marketing uh, with the National Council of Investors um, and the, the Kentucky Real Estate Exchangers are places I'm members of where I have investor partners there. But what this business is still, this is a very hip to hip, shoulder to shoulder. You got to know the people you're dealing with. It's not, you have to, it's a lot of trust. Um, and it's still a lot of rubbing elbows, right? You know, this is a people business first. We learn one of the things we teach in equity marketing is the people matter more than the property. You know, the, the property and the price are low on the list of importance. It's more, why is somebody selling something? And what about those people? You know, what's important to the people that are making the deal so they can get the benefits out of the real estate that they want. And so when you're picking partners, it's the same thing. Yeah. Now you said uh, like looking for investors kind of when you're just starting out, I want to dive into that a little bit because I had a venture um, I have, I've had a few ventures that, you know, I actually did explore, you know, actually like outside investors to fund the venture. Now, mm -hmm. the ventures I had wasn't related to real estate, but um, in your experience, like you said, you have the flooring company um, and then obviously the property management company as well. Um, did you ever have to, and the answer might be a clear yes, but what was your experience, you know, finding investors, funding your, you know, uh, your ventures if you didn't really have that funding right away? Uh, other than real estate, I haven't had to have anybody fund my ventures. Okay. We, we've, you know, I, I, the property management company, I have a, I have a key partner in that she actually owns the company. I'm more of the partner. Um, she runs all the back office stuff and I'm kind of the front face for everything here in Kentucky and a few properties in Ohio. Um, and then in the flooring company, we funded that. Um, as far as our side of it, but the key partner in that was because we do so many flips and we do so many renovations and turns for, for the property management company, flooring can be a big expense. And we were looking for a good quality flooring that we could buy wholesale. And I took me about two years and then lo and behold, somebody that I actually hired to be a mobile home salesman 25 years ago had started a, a, uh, distribution company remain a flooring manufacturer and we hooked up and partnered up on that. So we're growing that business. Um, you know, his, his, his end of the business and our end of the business, we're kind of growing those right now. Right. And we do most everything like the flooring company, my brokerage, the flooring company, I would say I do have a social media manager that I pay like, 
I have a contract with a company. I pay like $500 a month that he helps me with posting on all the social media stuff. Um, which is helpful. Uh, but you know, after 20 years, we do, a, we do a ton of networking. I mean, that's, you know, 50% of my marketing is just networking. We try to attend every event. Anytime there's an investor meetup, anytime there's, uh, agent meetups, broker meetups, exchange meetings, we go to all of them. And, you know, people like to do business that, you know, with people that they know. I especially do, you know, if, if there's an opportunity that you know, all my, all the people that I do business with are here, I can reach out and touch anybody. Is it necessary? And is it always the most cost effective? Probably not, but I, I sleep easy at night. Yeah. It's interesting you say about networking because I'm sure you probably heard the phrase, you know, your network is your net worth. And that's something, you know, that I want to work on because obviously with COVID, you know, the networking events, you know, were shut down, but I think nowadays, you know, early 2023, things are obviously starting to open up. And I think, like you said, the networking is starting, you know, to make a, to make a comeback. And, you know, sometimes, you know, I do run an online business and sometimes, you know, I'm a little tempted to kind of just, you know, stay inside, you know, just get my work done where sometimes I neglect, you know, the networking side of things. So I think mm -hmm. that's a really good lesson that, you know, you said networking is basically about 50% of your, um, your marketing dollars. And it sounds like that's how you generate a lot of business. Um, but I actually want to go back to when you said like you hired the contractor to do your social media. Um, I want to dive into um, like building a team around you, especially when it comes to commercial real estate and just real estate investing in general. Um, mm -hmm. Like, do you have any advice for someone who's just getting started and, you know, they need to build a team of contractors or even, you know, social media marketing? What would your advice be for someone who's looking to build a team around themselves? Get interview several people and the key team members that you have, whether that's local agents and brokers, because you're going to be looking for real estate. You need some people looking out for you. Um, you need a good title agent interview two or three of those and, and have them kind of in on your phone on speed dial so that when you come across a deal, you can get something done quickly, have a good real estate attorney. Um, those are key. Obviously a lender is going to be really important. You know, if you don't have a line of credit, if you can qualify for a line of credit, get that. There's a lot of fix and flip lines of credit that are legit, not internet stuff that you can get. Um, I, a friend of mine sets them up. We have one. Um, they're they're not too difficult to get. Um, and then, and anytime you're building a team, just remember, a lot of people have a hard time turning. Oh, they want to keep control of everything, and you have to learn how to let go of some things, and give other people responsibility and oversee them. Because you, you just, if you, you are stagnated, your growth will be stagnated by what you're limited to do. You're only one person. Like I can only do so much in a day. You know, between valuating properties and taking care of property management stuff and overseeing renovation projects, you know, you have to really allocate your time and energy appropriately. If somebody else can do it, you know, have them do it, pay them to do it. You will grow it. You know, you may end up with a year 
where your profits kind of level off because you're putting money back in your business, but then <clears throat> you will grow. If you do it correctly, your business will grow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and it's all depends on what you want to do, right? Some people like that. Some people want to make enough money to where they're busy eight hours a day and they're comfortable and that's what they need to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah, no, that's a good point, you know, about building the team. Like you said, you know, you will need a lawyer, especially for the legal side of things, especially for commercial. So I think that's a really good point to make that, you know, you will need to, you know, allocate some money for a lawyer. Like you said, you know, the title company, a title agent. Um, so that's a really good lesson. You know, you do have to kind of, you know, consider these things before you get started. So I do kind of want to switch gears and we're going to move on to um, specifically your fix and flip um, kind of, you know, your business uh, for the fix and flips. Um, because a lot of people, you know, they have the, they see these HG, HGTV shows, you know, flip or flop or whatever it might be. And, you know, they kind of, I don't want to say, you know, glorify the fix and flips, but um, just doing research, you know, I've, seen that there's a lot of, that goes into the fix and flips and it's not always, you know, you don't always make that big profit that you may see on TV. Um, so I just kind of want to, you know, dive into that. And what's your advice for someone who wants to get into the fix and flips? You know, do you need to have a lot of capital right up front or what's the best way for someone to really get started with, you know, flipping properties? I guess it depends on the person and the amount of expertise they have at a thing. Um, your sweat equity does mean something if you know you but you are going to have to have some money like that's all there is to it if you're going to be buying and flipping you got to have some capital so whether you get that through a line of credit or you find a partner to help you out um you can do that i you know i've done several fix and flips with partners who they were out of town investors who wanted to invest in the market because they saw the opportunity so we just worked out an arrangement. I find the deal um, and I took care of literally everything. And when we flipped it, we split the profit. Um, he, he, he basically, he put up most of the capital. It's probably 90% of it. Um, I've done other deals. <clears throat> you know, if you find the right deal, you can get a hard money loan and it won't cost you too much. The key to knowing fix and flips is this is where you have to have a trusted real estate broker who will tell you the truth about what the as repaired value is. And you need somebody that's a local expert, not some jack leg on the internet, because you're typically going to do these things uh, more towards the urban core. And the closer you are to the urban core, the more the market changes block by block. So if, if you can really get yourself in trouble, if you don't know, you know, if somebody's giving you comps uh, that are two blocks away in, in our market, let's say Covington, and, you know, two blocks away is Wallace Woods, and they're trying to give you comps from Wallace Woods for something two blocks north of there, which this happens frequently, you're in trouble. Because in those two blocks, the market changes dramatically. So it's important to have a broker with local market knowledge that you can trust it's important to have contractors who you can trust that will do the job and somebody to oversee them. <clears throat> if you're at it, you know, if you're not able to oversee them regularly and you have to know how to deal with contractors, this, the, <clears throat> the idea of doing a fix and flip to you, you buy it yourself, you do all the work yourself and then you flip it. When you look at 
at least in my experience, most people don't have the time or the expertise to flip it in a reasonable amount of time. So what ends up happening instead of the flip taking, you know, the work taking 60 days, it takes six months to a year. There are carrying costs, you know, and in a market like this, the market could change dramatically in six months to a year. So you have to make sure your buy formula is right. Account for carrying cost, account for, you know, extra, a little extra time and make sure, you know, make sure your, your job comes in on time and <clears throat> whatever a contractor tells you, add three weeks to it. It's always going to take longer than expected. And I would, I have a certain buy formula. I buy very specifically. Uh, and because the market has been so crazy for the last, you know, year, 18 months, I, I haven't, I didn't buy anything in 2022. Uh, I don't even try to remember if I bought anything the second half of 21. We bought like six prior to that. But it was, you know, if, if I can't buy something, my all in, I just say my all in is 70% of the ARV. So my purchase price and renovation costs have to be 70% of the as repaired value. And we need to be in and out in 90 days. And if we can do that, we rock it. But the market yeah. got a little out of hand. So we backed off. Yeah, a couple of things you just said there that I want to unpack a little bit. And uh, in the beginning, when you were saying that you do kind of need some capital if you want to do the fix and flips. Um, so say, you know, someone in my position, you might have student loans where you don't really have that capital. Um, are there any ways that maybe not commercial real estate, but are there any ways that someone, you know, that doesn't have that capital um, can get started with real estate investing? Um, like, sure. for example, I've heard of something called a house hack where, you, you know, you buy a property like a duplex and then maybe you rent out the other unit while you live in one. Is that like a viable opportunity for people if they want to get started when they don't really have all that much upfront cash? Sure, you can do that. I mean, and, and what I and what I was talking about, we fix and flip houses. We fix and flip one to four units. We don't I haven't ever fixed and flipped a commercial property, but the the. Um, you you can there are hard money loans available the house hack thing i i will tell you the the one thing you don't account for when people do that is make sure you account for rainy day stuff like if you're going to collect you buy a duplex and you live in one side and you rent out the other side you, you need to put some money away somewhere for repairs because something's going to happen a tenant is going to need a water heater or the furnace is going to go out. You know, things just happen that you need to be prepared for. Um, and honestly, if you want to get started <clears throat> right now until the law changes and you can even, you can, I would tell you to find a hard money lender, a good local hard money lender that when a deal comes across that you really want, that you can buy it and that if you can get it right, just wholesale it. The assignment of contract thing is, it's still a thing right now. There are a lot of states, including Kentucky, that are trying to make that illegal. But you can, if you find a deal and you can price it right, and I've seen a lot of people 
put deals under contract and we put them under assignment contract and they sell the assignment for ten or twenty thousand dollars and don't have a dime in it. Maybe <clears throat> maybe sometimes they have to put up a little bit of earnest money, like five hundred or a thousand dollars, but you can get started. You can raise a bunch of capital and get started relatively quickly with the next and literally with nothing. I've seen people do it. Yeah. Now let's get into, before we move on, you've touched on like the, you need contractors that you can trust. Um, I was involved, uh, you know, in a kind of like a flip, fix and flip, but we wanted to rent it out long-term instead of kind of really fix. I guess it's the fix without the flip. And then mm -hmm. we wanted to rent it out. Um, we, I was partnering with my dad on this and the contractors that we were working with, you know, a lot of them, they didn't really speak English uh, and nothing, you know, against that, but it was just kind of hard to communicate with them. And, they didn't show up on time. They didn't really complete the work. Um, so obviously these aren't really contractors that we want to continue working with. Um, have you ever run into situations like that? And probably since you're very experienced and you know where you are at your career, you probably have, you know, a team of contractors that you can trust. Um, any advice on finding, you know, good contractors? Do you have to just kind of test people out or what was your experience with, you know, contractors? Get, <clears throat> get referrals. I mean, again, this comes to your network. I would, I would get referrals for contractors from your network and start there and, and acquire as many as you can. That would be the, the best way to do it. Um, cause I've had, <clears throat> and even then, you know, anytime a contractor is working, if you're not going to, you have to go to the job site at least twice a week and check their work. And if they're not doing it up to your standard, you have to let them know. And if they continue to not do it up to your standard, you got to let them go and look for somebody else. Um, I've had to do that multiple times. It's, it's difficult. It, and we've, we've gotten to the point now where <clears throat> we are bringing people on and putting, we're employing people. Like I actually have, payroll um and that makes it a little more it makes it a little better for us um but you know when you're just a contractors you you have to get referrals have them show you pictures of their work have them ask them for references that you can call you know that's really all you can do and then kind of stick your neck out there and hope to goodness they do the job right. And if they do it right, then you can build a relationship with them. Yeah, that was, that would be some valuable uh, information when uh, we were just getting started with that one fix and fix and rent, I guess you could say. So yeah, no, that's, that's a good point with, you know, finding contractors. I think you're right about, you know, it's about referrals instead of kind of maybe just searching Yelp for contractors. I think you're totally right. That referral makes more sense because, you know, you're hearing directly from someone who worked with them, and I think, yeah, just in general, I think referrals in real estate are so important, but we're actually going to switch gears now. I want to talk about how you mentioned that you don't really spend all that much on, you know, marketing or advertising because um, marketing for real estate agents and real estate professionals is actually my specialty. Um, mm -hmm. So it's interesting. You said that you don't really need all that much marketing. Can you get into why that is that you don't really do advertising <clears throat> and maybe how people can save on advertising as well? So, 
this is my 22nd year in the business. Um, and I've always been big about networking and going to networking events. And I'm not, <clears throat> I'm clearly not saying you don't spend any money because a lot of these networking events that I go to cost money I mean, we go to Las Vegas four times a year. Um, and there's, you know, we travel the country and we have travel expense, but as far as actual advertising dollars, I, besides what I pay my social media guy, I don't spend any money at all. And at this point we have, you know, one of the, one of the benefits of having done this for so long is we have a lot of referral business. Uh, you know, if you're getting started, I would encourage brand social media branding as much as you can and you can start that on your own i'm not saying it's going to be the most effective but you can certainly do it on your own and there's a ton of free information out on the internet that'll show you how to do it um, it takes time uh, you're not gonna you know if you think you're gonna do a social media blast for a month or 90 days and think you're gonna get a lot of results out of it you're crazy it's gonna take you I would, I would say six months to a year before you start to really see some promising numbers off of that. Um, it, cause it's a concerted effort. You're building a brand and you, you have to know that in building the brand, you know, give away your knowledge because, because people aren't going to use it. I mean, everything I've told you, like the, the buy formula, my insights to the market, I, all that information is available on my social media platforms. It's all, it's all free. You know, people either agree with it, don't agree with it. Some use it. Some don't, most don't. I can tell you exactly what I do and how I do it. And most people won't, you know, they, they just, it takes time. And that's what people don't want to spend. There is no quick, easy success story. Every, everybody who's got any modicum of success has put, some time, energy, and effort into it. If you're getting started in the business as an agent, <clears throat> you know, you, you find your mentor. And the one thing I will tell you, the very first thing you have to figure out as a real estate agent, and it doesn't matter if it's residential or commercial, if you don't know the value that you bring to the deal, you're, you're done before you started. You have to know your value to the deal have some level of expertise at something. Whether you're, you're a residential agent and you know everything about a particular market. And when I mean, you know the name of the owner of the corner store and all the employees who work there. Like you should be able to rattle off everything about a neighborhood. If you are a commercial agent and you are working in an asset class, whether it's multifamily, retail, industrial, office, you should know the vacancy rate the average, the average price per square foot to lease a space, what the cap rates are in your market, everything. That is your expertise and you should know it. Um, that's how that value, that's where you bring value. If you don't bring value to deal, why would anybody use you? How I look yeah. at it. Now going back to, you know, adding value to the deal, um, someone who is just getting started, you know, maybe they're not an expert yet. Do you think that they need to, you know, be an expert before getting started? When you're getting started, <clears throat> you are, you can learn to become that expert as you're getting started. You can prospect plenty as you're prospecting, learn. 
you know, if you're a residential agent, as you're, you know, if you're farming a neighborhood, stop in and talk to the corner store people. Let them know who you are. Let them know they're going to be seeing you. Let them know you might need to use a restroom on occasion. <laughs> I, I mean, these are real life things. We're out on the street all the time. We spend a lot of time on the road, not sitting behind a desk. So you have to know the neighborhood and where it's good to stop, where it's not good to stop, good places to eat. I'm a foodie. I, love, I, I can tell you where good restaurants are in every neighborhood in Northern Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool. Um, I, and I could probably do the same in the Philly, South Jersey area. Um, there's right. just so much good food. And I, I think I've never been to Kentucky, actually, but uh, I'm sure the food is probably, you know, amazing. So <clears throat> we're right across the river from downtown Cincinnati. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Two places that I want to go, Cincinnati, and I want to go to like a Louisville basketball game. I think those would be really fun. Um, but moving on, I want to talk about, before we get into, I want to learn more about your podcast. But before we get into that, I want to ask you about scaling your business because some people listening, they probably have a real estate business. They've gotten started. You know, maybe they have some deals under their belt. But how do you kind of go from, you know, small business, small real estate business to, you know, scaling that business where, you know, full-time income and even more, you know, what's your advice for scaling the business? Uh, build your team. Start hiring people that are good at the things you're not good at. You know, if you can get you an admin assistant that can cover all the paperwork and money stuff, you know, help you with prospecting, all the things that a, an admin that is allowed to do, <clears throat> even better if you can get a licensed admin, get an admin to help you. And then from there, build a team. Get agents that will come work with you. Have a vision for what your team is and have agents come work with you. Uh, I, I can tell you there in, in commercial real estate, uh, there is a, a really, really good trainer. Uh, I'm not going to say it's cheap, but it's, it's worth it. His name is. His name without looking at it. It's Rod Santanum. Rod Santanum. Muscle. I think that's what it is. Anyway, yeah, Santa Massimo, Santa Massimo, Rod Santa Massimo, called the Massimo Group. He's got a couple of books out you can find. He he does some outstanding training and teaches you just that on building a team and scaling your business. He's great at it. Yeah, I think learning from others, especially in the real estate business, is so important, especially when you're just getting started. If you don't have that experience. I think, yeah, I think learning from, um, you know, someone like you just mentioned that does have experience, does have the trainings. Now, it is, you know, something to talk about, you know, investing in like a training like that. Um, because, I, you know, throughout my journey, I've invested in, you know, online courses, whether it's for social media, real estate, writing, you know, just doing copywriting. I've invested in online courses. Can you go into about, you know, how much you think, how important you think it is to really invest in yourself? and invest in training if you don't have that expertise? Um, there's nothing else to invest in if you don't do that. Right. That's it, it is the single most important thing you can do. You have to invest in yourself. And I've been to all sorts of training. 
I can, <clears throat> I, I have more hours of training and education over the last 20 plus years. I couldn't even keep count. It's tens of thousands of hours. It's, I mean, it's what, it's what you do. I mean, I, I do, I do some form of a continuing education class, uh, Jesus, 10, 12 times a year. Um, and there's, and a lot of those classes I've repeated, but it, you know, every time you take a, a course, you'll pick up something new, you'll pick up a new idea, you know, any, anything you can do to expand your knowledge and to be better at what you do. Uh, it's well worth it. You know, commercial real estate, CCIM is a really big deal. Uh, and getting, getting your CCIM is a really big deal. The education, the education from the, there's four courses and the 101 classes, one of the most important teaches you the numbers. Commercial real estate is mostly in, in the buying and selling it's, it's investment. So it's mostly numbers. Okay. Gotcha. Now, yeah, you mentioned about, you know, commercial real estate. Um, there's obviously being an agent, you know, that's one avenue. Say you wanted to, I don't know, be an analyst or maybe do, you know, work for a commercial real estate company. Um, what's like the barriers to entry or what, what would your advice be for someone who wants to go that route? Um, the bigger firms, and I can only speak to what I know because I've, I've, I've worked for two bigger firms, but I've always been on the brokerage side. And so I haven't really gotten into the staff side of that. But the the staff side they typically are looking for MBAs um, or you know accountants you know people that are degreed in that particular field they're looking for um, but that is um, that's just not something I have a whole lot of expertise in to talk about gotcha yeah well no worries yeah I just thought it was interesting because I do work with some you know commercial real estate investing companies and I was just curious how kind of people, you know, got started in that. But um, yeah, I want to move on and talk about your podcast, the Bourbon Bites and Business Podcast. Could you just get into a little bit what exactly, obviously, you know, cover bourbon, your foodie, and then business. Just let me like, just explain to the audience, you know, what your podcast is, um, what it's about, and kind of how you got started with that podcast. Uh, the podcasting thing that just kind of came from the advice of another mentor and really Gary B. Uh, to start a podcast, uh, it's a the format is an hour similar to this. Bourbon bites and business kind of covers things that I like: bourbon, food, and talking shop. So I typically will interview um, people who own their own business. Uh, we do a lot of it in person, so that we can we'll sit down at a local restaurant or pub. Uh, they'll typically give us a nice. Uh, tasting of a very nice bourbon and if you don't necessarily drink we'll have an appetizer or something it gives the it gives the uh location a little bit of airtime and some free advertising in exchange for us using the facility and then it's really just a conversation of how they got in business how business uh you know is and you know how they dealt with covid we're, we're talking less about that now you know right after COVID, that was a conversation we had to have, like comparing before and after, um, you know, things in this area have been, 
relatively normal for all of 22 for the most part. Um, we kind of, you know, most of our meetings fired up in the second half of 21 as far as networking meetings. And so we, we weren't down too, too long. Real estate was considered when they call that a necessary business. I don't know. They had some name for it. I never stopped working. So to me, it's just been, and, and really with the amount of money that was thrown out to the public, COVID increased everybody's business around here. And so the best two years of real estate in my, in my 20 plus years, these last two, three years have been the very best they've ever been. Yeah, that's interesting because obviously with COVID, you know, just with the inventory, you know, it's just like inventory, that was the problem that there wasn't enough inventory. But it's interesting that you say that, you know, the last two, three years was the best. Um, now, going back to your podcast, because I'm a big believer in podcasting, I actually started uploading basically just the audio. I was making YouTube videos about search engine optimization, and I kind of just used the audio and just uploaded it to my podcast. And I use a software called Anchor, um, which just is a great place to host your platform. It's totally free. Um, mm -hmm. So like, and you mentioned about the sponsors and where I'm going with this, um, like any advice to someone who started their podcast or thinks about you know, think, thinking that they want to get into podcasting, how did you go about, you know, getting the sponsors? Because I, I know you mentioned that they were kind of local businesses. Um, so how would you kind of approach if someone wants to get a sponsor, even if it's just a local business? Um, what was your kind of approach to that? Because I think a lot of people want to get into podcasting to make money. So uh, it would be interesting to hear how you kind of got started with the sponsors. Um, I, so I haven't, I haven't approached any sponsors that weren't local. So I don't really have a good answer to that. Everybody I asked was, you know, you know, they were all pretty congenial. And again, because I network so much, I know a dozen, 15 pub or restaurant owners in the market. So it wasn't real hard to say, Hey, I'm going to be doing this thing and what's your slowest time of the day on your slowest day that I could have a little, you know, just a table that's going to be relatively quiet to record a podcast and give you a mention. That's how it started. Um, and it works for them. It works for us. Um, you know, it, it's, it's relatively simple, but, and if you don't have those kind of connections, you just kind of, it's a cold call and you have to, there, there has to be a benefit, right? Like for anything, if anybody's going to do something for you, there has to be a benefit and start small. Don't ask for a whole lot. I was just asking for a location and a, a tasting of bourbon and or an appetizer. It's not going to cost them a whole lot to get it. You know, their entry is really cheap, but it's good for you. It's good for them. And if, and if you got, if you're new and they're new that you're building from the ground up. So you build with each other. And as that, and as, as you improve their business, then you can ask for more. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll quote Gary Vee a lot just because I think he has a right entrepreneurial idea, but he has a, he has a, a, a statement he says all the time is give, 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 ask. You know, you can give it all away. Give it all away. And then if you give all your information away for free or if you're giving a spot for free, you can do that for a pretty long time. But then when it comes time for the ask, People are a lot more apt to take part. 
you get right. a lot more answers then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting you say like about the sponsors, like, because what I've also been doing, I'm actually an affiliate for probably 10 or 15 um, like brands, like such as like one that I use is called Canva, which is like a graphic design. And mm -hmm. even if they like you're not an affiliate yet, maybe you got denied for the affiliate program, you can still actually mention, you know, those software products and whatever you're an affiliate for, you know, you can mention them on the podcast, like as if you're endorsing them. Um, even though you're not actually a sponsor yet, and then hopefully you will become a sponsor in the future. And then what sure. you can do is go back and update the uh, description for your podcast and you can sub in that affiliate link. So a lot of options with the, you know, sponsors on the podcast. Um, do you want to go into podcast promotion? Because I think a lot of people that are going to, or thinking about starting their podcast, um, they don't really know, they don't think anyone's really going to listen or they don't know how to get listeners. Um, did you do anything, obviously your sponsors, but did you do anything else to promote your podcast to try to get more people to tune in and listen? Uh, so that is not something that I initially did and I haven't really started, I haven't found anybody to help me with the promotion of it. But one of the things that I do do to promote it is uh, we, we've started doing similar to what you're doing. We do the video version and I'll put it on YouTube. And then I also will break it down into 10 minute bites and put on TikTok. Uh, and that seems to be working relatively well. Um, you know, you're not going to get a lot of people sitting down for 10 minute, you know, out of a, you know, we have six 10 minute episodes of the podcast, but it does have a following and it is getting listeners. And I do get feedback. So, uh, you know, the biggest thing is making sure you're promote. I promote it. I cross promote it with everything else. You know, my podcast, uh, goes on my website and goes on all my social media platforms and I cross promote everything. Um, and really TikToks remarkably as a 55 year old dad, grandfather, that's where I have the most followers. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, like you mentioned the cross promotion, that's huge because, you know, I am creating content. I'm creating the short form, you know, the under one minute where I do post it to Instagram reels, Facebook reels, YouTube shorts, TikTok. And there's just so many, you know, platforms that you kind of need to be active on. And it's interesting, the shift to like short, uh, short form video um, is becoming a lot more apparent. I think just, you know, our attention spans are just decreasing. And it looks like short form is going to be the way of the future. So it, I think that's good advice to, you know, be active on TikTok, especially because it can really TikTok with the algorithm. They can really push your content to a lot of new, like a new audience. And like you said, it's interesting that your biggest following is on TikTok. Um, that is really interesting. So I haven't been focusing on TikTok as much just because I haven't really been successful in getting leads through TikTok. Um, so that's just my um, kind of. I guess you could say view on TikTok, but as you said, Jim, I mean, if that's your, your best platform for followers, maybe I will reconsider and focus on TikTok again. Um, but as we kind of wrap things up, I want to ask you, where do you kind of see yourself, you know, five years from now, where do you see your business kind of going? Uh, five years from now, we would, so because we have so many kind of different parts of the business, entertain, you know, that are kind of intertangled with one another, like the flooring company and the management company and renovations. And the, first and foremost is prioritizing it. You know, those things take up a little more time than I would like for them to, because we want to focus on our brokerage and our investing more than 
those things. So I have put, now we've put key people in place. So in five years, I would like, well, really less than five years, I would like for those to operate independently. I would like for my brokerage business to be uh, kind of maybe 30 or 40% of my business and our investing be the primary source of our, you know, what we're doing. Uh, you know, in five years, we would like to be splitting time between here and a couple of vacation homes that we've got an eye on. Um, but th this is not, I work a ton. Uh, you know, people ask me about work-life balance all the time and they say that I work too much. To me, it's a lifestyle. It's not work. This is just what I like to do. Um, so, you know, I don't see it as work all the time. You know, some of it's work, but a lot of it is just, I don't know. It's what I do. So to me, if, if I'm at the office until six, seven o'clock working on a project, just what I do. Uh, and I don't foresee that, you know, in five years I'll be doing something similar, but have more key people in place to run key parts of the operation so that we can keep things growing. Um, you know, in you know, five years, hopefully have a nice retail outlet for the flooring. We have the renovation company being run by a good company, you know, by a good guy, maintenance company the same way, good staff in place. Uh, I don't know, just grow from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting you say like, um, almost like you kind of said, um, like you might work too much. I don't want to uh, put words in your mouth, but like, it sounds like, you know, you're a workaholic and funny someone said to me i was like kind of in the same boat where i'm you know working you know late um i play in a league where i play pool like billiards and i don't really um stick around because uh, the league it starts at 7 30 you know you you play your games uh, might you know take 30 minutes to an hour and then you know i don't really hang around too much at the bar um you know buying drinks it's just it's just not really my scene i guess and i just see it as kind of like almost a waste of money now there is, you know, the opportunity cost because I love the guys on the team and we, you know, we're really good friends. Um, but it was interesting to say that, you know, and I agree that, you know, if you want to, you know, see success, especially in business or real estate, you know, you are going to have to put in the time, you know, when everyone else is, you know, out at the bars, you know, drinking, you know, spending money, you know, you don't really, at least for me, I don't really want to kind of go with the herd. You know, I want to be doing my own thing. I want to be building my business. So I think it's a good thing that you've touched on that, you know, being a workaholic is okay. And it's kind of just your lifestyle. So I really agree with that. And I think that's a good lesson for people listening. So, um, yeah, talk about it. It is. Yeah. You can only, you know, just look and see where other successful people hang out. Or if they do, you know, 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night. There aren't too many successful people out and about. They're in bed. And my day starts at 5.30 in the morning. And I need, like, if I don't get at least six hours of sleep, I'm not worth a damn. So, you know, I have to be at home. I don't, there's nothing enjoyable about that. You know, I I enjoy bourbon, but I like really good bourbon. <clears throat> and I like to sip it. I couldn't tell you the last time I was drunk. It's been a long while. Yeah. And how you said, like, you kind of want to hang out where other successful people hang out. Uh, when I was just, you know, turning 21, 22, 
um, you know, me and my friends, we, you know, we went to the casino, uh, you know, kind of a lot, honestly, a little more than, uh, you know, I probably should have. Um, luckily, I've been more on the winning side of things somehow, I guess, you know, that's just luck or whatever. Um, so it wasn't too detrimental for me. But like how you said, you know, you want to hang out where the successful people hang out. And that was actually a thought that came across me, you know, as I was in the casino, you know, you don't see too many people in the casino at the roulette table at the craps table. That's generally not where the successful people usually hang out. So I think that's another good lesson. You know, you don't want to be at the casinos. You don't want to, you know, be at the bar at 2 a.m. Because like you said, that's not really, you know, what the successful people are doing. So um, again, really good lesson. Now, Jim, thanks so much for being on the podcast. And is there anywhere if people want to do business with you, whether it's through, you know, commercial real estate, your flooring company, your property management company, where can people find you? if they want to do business with you probably the easiest way is uh go to my website it's investwithcarmichael.com uh or uh, i don't know if i got my other website hooked up to it yet um but investwithcarmichael.com will take you to me uh you can always email me at 1031jc.com um we do a lot of exchanges that's where 1031 comes from for those of you in the real estate business uh, those are probably the two easiest places are across all social media platforms. It's Jim Carmichael. Um, I think a couple of them are at Jim C N K Y or at Jim Carmichael or at Jim Carmichael. one is my TikTok. You can find me there. Great. But if you put in Jim Carmichael Berkshire Hathaway, which is the brokerage I work for, you'll definitely find me on Google. Great. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing and thanks for tuning in, everyone listening to the podcast. Hope you got something uh, valuable out of this interview with Jim because he's a wealth of information, especially look, people looking to get started and scale their business. So thanks once again, Jim, and uh, hopefully we can have you on back on the podcast maybe six months, a year from now, see where you're at and maybe get an update. Uh, so thanks again, Jim, and uh, we will see you guys in the next podcast. Great. Thank you. Thanks.